if listen to this if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people to be most pitied another translation for pity is pathetic so we're pathetic Christ is risen amen let's do that again <laughs> Christ is risen amen and he is, isn't he? I asked the serving team before the service, why do we as churches meet on Sunday? I don't mind if you answer. Well, Sabbath is Saturday, so it's not really. Why? Because Christ resurrected on this day. See, this is an important day for us. Back in the day, for those of you who have a bit of gray hair, you used to call Sunday the Lord's Day. Remember that? <laughs> and we sort of forgotten to do this. But this is the Lord's day because Christ has risen on Sunday. Therefore, as Christians, we congregate together. We gather together to worship Jesus on this special day. So Christ is risen. risen. <laughs> and what a special moment we're celebrating today. I want you to know, or to even tell your hearts, we're celebrating a risen God. He is not dead. He is alive. I don't know if you have heard about Frank Morrison, who, which is a pseudonym for Albert Henry Ross, and he was an English advertising agent and a freelance writer. Has anyone heard of him? Patrick oh. <laughs> should come and preach then. <laughs> right, so Mr. Ross was skeptical initially regarding the resurrection of Jesus, and he set out to analyze sources and to write a short paper entitled Jesus, the Last Phase, to demonstrate that the resurrection is a myth. In compiling his notes and doing his research, it became more and more evident and more convincing to him that Jesus did rise from the tomb. Ross became convinced of the truth of the resurrection, and he set out his reasoning in the book you see on your screens, Who Moved the Stone? The book he set out to write, debunking the risen Christ, was not the book he completed. As he recounts in one of the chapters of his book, the book that refused to be written. And at the conclusion of the writing, he was brought to what he calls the unexpected shores of salvation. A man who wanted to prove that resurrection is not true ended up being saved because of his research into the resurrection. He was brought to the shores of salvation, as he calls it. And this is the power of the gospel. We all know Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel is good news. And it is good news about the power of God to save everyone who believes. But what is this? Good news, though. What makes the gospel good news? Well, it's exactly what we're celebrating today in much of Europe. It's the resurrection of Christ that makes the gospel good news. Because there can be no gospel without the resurrection of Christ. There can be no good news without the resurrection of Christ. The gospel is the foundation and hope of our faith. The gospel is the foundation and hope of our faith. 
And since the gospel is the foundation and hope of our faith, there are three things I want to share with you today. We must receive the gospel, remain in the gospel, and rejoice in the gospel. Easy to memorize. I'm a good preacher. <laughs> so, first one, we need to receive the gospel. Let me read first four verses from 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. You see, the Corinthians, the letter to whom this is written, were troubled by some who challenged them in their faith. And Paul doesn't tell them, it's okay, don't mind them, just trust me, let go and let God. No, he says on the contrary, Paul doesn't want anyone's faith to be without reason, without purpose, and without fruit. God is not asking us to just believe without researching and without knowing what our faith is based on. Paul wants to remind his sons and daughters in faith about the gospel that he has preached and delivered to them. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. The most important message of Paul's, of Paul's life was the gospel. The most important message we, we must know and receive is the gospel. The gospel is the most important message we can ever deliver and proclaim to those around us. How high does the gospel rank in your life? Because I'm afraid that we are, we are substituting the message of the good news with good behavior. We are replacing good news with nice words. But nice words and good behavior don't have the power to save people. Only the gospel does. So what is the gospel? Based on these four verses, first of all, the gospel is that Jesus lived a sinless life. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus is the only human who lived a sinless life. He left the glory of heaven to be born just like one of us. He was tempted, hurt, betrayed, and forsaken, but he never sinned. He lived a perfect life in a broken world. He lived a sinless life in a sinful world. Secondly, Jesus died and was buried for our sins. Like Sarah said, that was no normal Friday. Jesus died and was buried for our sins. He died my death and your death. He died my death and your death. He died for us and because of us in the same time. And finally, Jesus resurrected on the third day. After three days in the tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers and sealed by a heavy stone, Jesus resurrected from the dead. That is the gospel. He lived a sinless life so he can give it to us. Jesus lived a sinless life so he can give it to us. This is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe in it. He died and was buried for our sins so that we might be free from death. If we die, we are not lost. If anything, death is better for us because we enter eternal joy. And Jesus resurrected on the third day so that we might have eternal life. 
That is what we're celebrating, and that is the gospel of Jesus. This is the message of first importance that Paul literally gave his life away for this. This, my brothers and sisters, is the gospel that we must receive. Verse 2 literally said that it is by the gospel that we are being saved. It is by the gospel that we are being saved. If you were a Corinthian believer back then, about 2,000 years ago, and you hear this letter being read out in your church, when it says it is by the gospel we are being saved, you would have immediately thought about a boat that takes people to the shore. Because in the Greek, trust me, research after, (laughs) in the Greek, the word being saved, it's basically the image of a boat that takes people to the shores. And when Paul says, it is by the gospel that we are being saved, he basically says that the gospel is the boat that leads us safely to the shores of eternity. It is something that happens continually. Therefore, we don't only once believe in the gospel, but we continually believe because the gospel is the boat that leads us safely to the shores of eternity. We are being saved because salvation is a journey that begins with us welcoming the gospel to the dock of our lives, if you want. You may be tempted to believe that the gospel is something that only unbelievers receive. But whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 5 months, the gospel is the foundation and hope of your faith. So receive it, welcome it again and again in your lives. Whenever you go to work, remind yourself of the gospel. When you look in the mirror, even if you don't like what you see, just preach the gospel to yourself. When you sit at the table and have dinner with your family or friends, remind yourselves of the gospel when given the opportunity Share and proclaim the gospel. Now you have heard the saying, preach the the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Please don't make that into the mantra of your life. I know it's popular, but hear me out. Good behavior is not something that is exclusive to Christians. Right? Muslims behave well. Buddhists behave well. Mormons behave well. Atheists behave well. Can you imagine Apostle Paul and John talking with one another, maybe in the heavens right now, looking down and says, oh, they're behaving well, they must be preaching the gospel. And then John is like, but they haven't said anything about Jesus, about him living a sinless life, dying for our sins, and rising from the dead. Well, it's okay. It's not necessary to use words. It doesn't work like that. The gospel is good news, and news by definition must be announced, not behaved. We must receive the gospel. We must hear it and listen it. We must welcome it into our hearts, and yes, we must let it bring change into our lives, which does result in good behavior. But make no mistake, the gospel must be proclaimed, because faith comes by hearing. You don't hear behavior, you see it. But the gospel is heard. Therefore, faith initiates in someone's life when they hear the gospel. Secondly, we must also remain in the gospel. So let's read from 1 Corinthians 15, from 5 to 19. It's a bit of a passage, but follow with me. (laughs) And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. 
Last of all, as to one ultimately born, untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. That's Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so we believe. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. But in fact, oh, there we go, sorry, jumping ahead of myself. So we must also remain in the gospel. You see, we are not only to receive the gospel, but we must also remain in it. Paul says that the gospel we received is the gospel in which we stand and we must hold fast unto. You see, if the gospel is this boat that leads us safely to the shores of eternity, when we have received it and believed it, we are in it. We are in the boat of salvation. But this doesn't mean that our enemy will not try to make us doubt the safety of this boat. Many believers are quick to receive the gospel until they are challenged. And Paul knew that some would struggle to give a reason as to why they believe in the resurrection. So he gives them and us an evidence of Jesus' resurrection in saying that there are over 500 individuals who have witnessed Jesus in his resurrected body. Many will try to tell you that the resurrection is a myth. But there have been hundreds of eyewitnesses who have seen Jesus resurrecting in his resurrected body, a fact that science and history cannot deny. Both pagan and Jewish writers of the day reported that Christians believed that Jesus rose from the dead. History shows us that many people died because of their claims that Jesus rose from the dead, and you would not die for something you don't really believe in. And the historical evidence shows us that the grave was empty. The grave clothes were neatly folded and left behind. The stone enclosing the tomb was rolled away. The body of Jesus was never found. The grave had been guarded by Roman soldiers and no one ever claimed to have stolen Jesus' body. But you see, the presence of the grave clothes is significant. It was the spices that were attached to the clothes that had value back in the day. So anyone removing the body for profit or to do whatever they want with it would have taken the wrapped body away and separated the valuable mixtures so they can sell it. In fact, the placement of the grave clothes, which are really tightly, neatly folded, thieves don't take time to fold clothes. <laughs> Amen, right? They sort of run away, especially with Roman soldiers right there. So the placement of the grave clothes, like the placement of the stone, perfectly fits with the resurrection 
as the cause rather than human agency as the cause for Jesus' missing from the tomb. You see, there are facts that Jesus did rise from the dead, and time doesn't permit me to go through every proof of resurrection. So I encourage you to buy the book I showed you in the beginning and research, because there's a lot that we can learn from the facts of resurrection. You don't only need to believe it in your heart, you can also see it and read it with your own eyes and mouth. But we are not to remain in the gospel only because of this evidence. You see, not believing in the resurrection has deep implications on one's life and soul. Not believing in the resurrection has deep implications on one's life and soul. Without the resurrection, we read, we are preaching in vain, we believe in vain, we misrepresent God, our faith is futile, we are still in our sins, and those who, be- who died believing in Christ have perished forever. If you do not believe in the resurrection, that is what will be true about you. You can even begin to imagine our lives without the resurrection of Christ. I find it difficult to even imagine if the resurrection hadn't happened. What about my life? Christianity wouldn't exist. Therefore, 2.6 or 3 billion people in the world believe in vain. They're doomed. Jesus would have had to have been a liar. Therefore, we are worshiping a fraud. We would misrepresent God. If the resurrection hadn't happened, we would misrepresent God. Therefore, we are idolatrous. And if the resurrection hadn't happened, our faith would be, would be baseless and hopeless without Jesus resurrected. And these are only implications for this life. But without the resurrection, our eternity would be affected as well. Because we would die in our sins with no hope of redemption. If Jesus didn't resurrect, death and hell would claim us once we physically die. And maybe even sadder, if Jesus is not risen, there is no hope for the millions or billions of believers in the past who have died because they have perished forever. That is what the implications of resurrection are. If we do not believe that, we are doomed forever. And those we love the most are doomed forever. Verse 19 said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. If, listen to this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Another translation for pitied is pathetic. So we're pathetic if Christ hasn't risen, and if we believe in him for this life only, for the 80, 90, 100 years that we have in this life, if you believe in Christ just for this life, this is pathetic, your faith is pathetic, and we are to be pitied. We must remain in the gospel because the gospel is the hope and foundation of our faith. We must hold on to this gospel as it brings us safely to the shores of eternity. We must know what we believe in and we must know who we believe in. We believe in Jesus Christ, the reason one. Our lives have meaning because Christ is risen. Our souls are safe 
because Christ is risen. Our faith in Christ is not limited to this life only. There are those who, in claiming to be Christians, they preach a prosperity gospel that encourages people to believe in Jesus if they want to have a good life on earth. They go so far as to say that Jesus came to die for our sins and resurrected on the third day so that he can provide a prosperous life to those who accept him in this life. It's as if Jesus left the glory of heaven, lived a sinless life, suffered at our hands, was crucified on the cross, won the fight against death, defeated Satan, all that so that you can have a bigger bank account. Speaking of return on investment, does not work like that. Jesus died for way more than that. And Jesus, Jesus may choose to bless you with wealth in this life. Amazing opportunity to be even more generous. But Jesus died to save you from death and from eternal damnation. We are indeed to be pitied if our bank account is what we place our hope in Jesus for. We are <laughs> pathetic. You see, we will step into a perfect world once we reach the shores of eternity. A world in which Jesus will reward us for our obedience to him in this life. A world in which there is a place prepared for me, a place I don't need to rent and pay mortgage to, amen and hallelujah to that. It's coming. A world in which I will no longer suffer and people will no longer die. But until I get there, and until we get there, we might have to pass through some storms in this boat of the gospel. But we trust the captain of our boat, who through a whisper of his word can calm down the strongest, the mightiest storms of our lives. Because when Jesus says, peace, there is peace indeed. So root our lives and root your lives in the gospel. Remain in the gospel. Hold on to it. Stand strong because the boat is safe and the captain knows what he's doing and he knows where he's taking us and there's nothing that can stop the boat led by our captain Jesus to reach the shores of eternity. You are safe, so remain in the gospel. When it's wind and storm, just hold on. That's what it says. Hold on to the faith. Stand strong. Jesus knows what he is doing. Finally, rejoice in the gospel. Verses 20 to 21 say this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. What an interesting three verses, right? We must rejoice in the gospel because Jesus has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have previously died. Have you ever talked, when you're, whenever you're at home, about Jesus, referred to him as the first fruits of resurrection? Like in the name of Jesus, who resurrected as the first fruits of resurrection. We don't really use that about Jesus, right? It's one of those descriptions of Jesus that is unusual. But what do we think, or what do you think that Jesus being the first fruits of resurrection means? This is an allusion to the Jewish feast of first fruits, where you basically bring the first and the best. You know, it's like basically why we are tithing and encouraging everyone to tithe. We give of the first fruits to God and His work. So Jesus being the first fruits of resurrection reminds me of when I was a child, and you know, I grew up in the orphanage. 
all that. So there were loads of us, and we were misbehaving many, many times. And one of the ways in which we were misbehaving was that there was this lake slash pond, it's a mixture of everything, uh, at sort of somewhere in our town. And I remember how maybe there was a group of 10 of us once, and we went to this uh, mini dam, basically, like this, and there was the lake slash pond in there. And we were all mighty and strong until we had to make the jump, right? And what we used to do all the time, and maybe you can relate, we always waited for one of our friends to jump first. <laughs> you know, and then something like this, maybe you didn't jump in a pond, but it can be something else, right? So you're waiting, and then once you see him landing, splashing, and coming back, it's like, okay, it's safe. Let's jump together. I see ducks doing this all the time, right? So when, Je when the Bible speaks about Jesus being the first fruits of resurrection, it's like Jesus is the first one to have jumped out of the grave. Therefore, we all follow after him. That is what it means. So when Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, it's like Jesus resurrected, and because of him, we will also, because of our relation to him, we will also resurrect. Jesus is the first man in history who died, resurrected, but didn't go back to die. I was sharing with the team before the service that the difference between Lazarus and Jesus is that they both came back from the dead, but Lazarus experienced death a second time because he died again. But Jesus didn't experience death again. And because of him, because of our faith in him, because we place our trust in him, because we believe him and we believe in him, we will not experience death two times. We will experience physical death, but thank God, because you may be slimmer and more beautiful after that. That's a good thing. Sometimes things need to die before they come back to life. Spiritually speaking, you will never die. You will never die. You have eternal life because Jesus is the first fruit. He took the first jump out. No one else could have done it before him. No one would have had the strength to defeat Satan. No one would have had the courage to go into hell. No one apart from him. So because he did it, we sort of tag on to Jesus, self-right. We're coming with you. Paul uses this metaphor to present Christ's resurrection as, the, as, as an example for the future resurrection of all believers. We will re resurrect. Jesus was the first one to jump out of the grave and no longer go back there. And because the grave was unable to hold Jesus, it is unable to hold us. Because death couldn't defeat Jesus, it cannot defeat us. Because Satan was defeated by Jesus, we shared in Jesus' victory, which is why we are more than conquerors. To believers, death is only temporary sleep. I mean, sleep is always temporary, isn't it? But you know what I mean. To believers, death is only sleep. The body sleeps, but the soul is at home with the Lord. And at the resurrection, the body will be awakened or resurrected and be glorified, and we will live with Jesus forever. When Jesus Christ returns in the air, he will take his church to heaven, and at that time, raise from the dead those who have trusted in him but have died in faith. So if you have dear ones that have died, there is so much hope because you will literally see them face to face once again at the resurrection of all the saints. So no one dies in vain and no one believes in vain if the resurrection is true. And it is true. But then this passage speaks about Adam. What does he have to do with anything? Well, obviously it refers to Adam, the first one. Right? Paul saw 
in Adam a type of Jesus by the way of contrast. Right? It's a type of Jesus, but different than Jesus. The first Adam was made from the earth, but the last Adam, which is Christ, came from heaven. The first Adam was made from the earth. The second Adam, Christ, came from the heaven. The first Adam disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world. But the last Adam, Jesus, obeyed the Father and brought righteousness and life. It's a type of Jesus, but contrasting Jesus. Those that belong to Christ will rise because of their relation to him. Which is why we pray in the name of Jesus. And we believe in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the center of everything. Your relation to Jesus is what qualifies, if you want, to be reasoned with him. Because he goes first. All of us follow after. The resurrection matters. Not because it is a true and historical event. The resurrection matters not just because it happened long time ago. The resurrection matters because just as it happened once, it will happen again. The resurrection of Jesus is a sign and a promise that God is up to something big. And it's closer than ever. Turn on the news. Paul says to the Corinthians that this is not just a past event, it's a future event, an event that we will all experience. You will be raised incorruptible and imperishable. You will be raised and you will watch death die. You will watch evil lose and you will see death destroyed. And because of that, says Paul, resurrection is a true past event and a promised future event, which means that it affects our present daily reality. God doesn't just want you to have life then, but even he wants to have life now. God, as we sang earlier, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. So God wants to resurrect you today as well. To stand firm, immovable in your faith because your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not futile. God is up to resurrection now. God wants to resurrect you now. God wants to move you from death to life today. Resurrection means that we can have a fresh start. What habits need to be broken? What habits do you need to take hold of? Where does death need to die in your life today? Where does death need to die in your life today? You know the verse that says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, says Jesus, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't just get to believe in the resurrection. We get to live it. We don't just get to come... We, we do actually get to come out of our spiritual tomb and walk into life. We get to shake off death and move into life. We get to live like people who have been raised from the dead. So today as we even get ready to have communion, and Tim can join me. As we get ready to have communion, may I encourage you with this. We must receive the gospel, remain in the gospel, and rejoice in the gospel. Because the gospel is the boat that leads us safely to the shores of
eternity. Amen. So during this next song, we'll have communion being passed by. Uh, what I want to encourage you, and it's a bit unusual for us to do it this way, would you take communion with someone next to you? Whether it's two or three, depending on numbers. As you have the, the cup in your hands and the bread as flooring goes by, just look around someone and maybe say to one another, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, and then eat and drink in your own time. Before that, just maybe say a little prayer for yourselves. Turn to whoever you want. And let's have this communion in community, together in fellowship. Because this is one way to receive the gospel, remain in the gospel, and rejoice in the gospel. Because the gospel is the hope and foundation of our faith. And the gospel is the boat that leads us safely to the shores of eternity. Amen.